You're listening to 3CR Radio. And you're listening to In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, we explore issues around queer and gender-based violence as part of 3CR's 16 Days of Activism coverage. We interviewed Libby Jamison from Switchboard about violence within and towards the queer community, and teacher and researcher Rick Spencer discusses erasure, violence and bullying towards gender-diverse teachers. 3CR And we do have a content and trigger warning. This episode explores issues around intimate partner violence, queerphobia, transphobia and suicide. Well, Libby Jamison is a teleweb manager at Switchboard Victoria. And Libby begins our interview by discussing some of the main issues the community raises regarding violence towards the queer community. We're hearing from younger people who may be living at home who are trans and gender diverse experiencing what we would call family violence. So being um, that the expectations of cisgender heteronormativity being placed on them um, and the oppression and, and marginal, marginalisation of them within their own families in that regard. And then we're hearing from adults in intimate partner relationships who are experiencing violence and abuse in those relationships. You know, sometimes people are talking to us, you know, coming to us and saying, oh, I'm not really quite sure what's going on in my relationship. You know, these things have been happening. What do you think about that? So it's that kind of, you know, thinking about what's going on, maybe not ready to apply a label to their experience. And then we're also talking to people who have left violent relationships, uh, often They've called us when they've just left and they're not quite sure what to do next. They don't know where to go. Uh, so we're having, we're, we're providing crisis intervention for, for those people who contact us. We're, we're doing safety plans and risk assessments. Um, and, you know, and we're also sometimes talking to people who are experiencing suicidal thoughts, who are feeling really trapped in the situations that they're in and are really needing to have a conversation with someone to explore um, the kind of options that might be open to them. So it sounds like the violence that people often experience doesn't fit within that kind of, you know, traditional kind of, you know, straight world interpretation of what of what violence is. Well, I mean, that's that's an interesting point, James. And I think that what we know is that people in LGBTIQA plus communities and in relationships experience the same kinds of violence that that people in other relationships experience so you know we experience physical sexual abuse emotional abuse financial abuse we experience coercive control and threats Um, but what sits on top of that is some particular kinds of abuse because of Um, our gender identity and because of our sexuality. So people talk to us about their partner misgendering them, so refusing to use their pronouns that they've, you know, asked to be used. 
people have talked about, um, you know, not their partner not wanting them to look gay, you know, uh, or they look too camp or they look too queer or their partner who's um, using violence and abuse really dictating their presentation in public. We've heard stories about people's medications being withheld from them, so HIV medications, um, antidepressants, hormones. Um, and then there's also the issues around threats to out someone, out someone's gender identity and their sexuality. And so, as you can imagine, those you know threats to a workplace or to a person's family um, or even threats around sexual practices, um, especially around people that have got children in their lives. And lots of us in the community have children um, and that's that's something that we really need to pay attention to as well, that uh, children witnessing abuse. Yeah, so and, and also we know that people who are using violence use the system, so the structural barriers that we experience as a community against their partner. So, you know, they'll say they'll classic things that you might hear like, oh, no one will ever believe you. I'm such a fantastic person. No one would believe that I'm doing this to you. And even if you did go to services, they wouldn't give you any help because you're queer. And so that's a pretty insidious use of control against someone because we already know that people in LGBTIQA plus um, relationships and communities are reluctant to access mainstream services. So that's a pretty um, effective way of controlling someone to say those services won't help you anyway. You know, I think that that question around gender-based violence is really interesting because often when we see those words written down or we see visual representations of gender-based violence, it's a man being violent to a woman and, you know, to reduce that even further, it's a, it's a cis man being violent to a cis woman. And we don't see um, any representations of the violence that we experience in, in, in our communities. But we, we experience gender-based violence as well. And what I mean by that is we are harmed and controlled by a very rigid gender binary as as women are as well. Um, so our experiences of gender-based violence, as I said, are the same as, as women, but we also get extra, I guess, extra oppression in that we can experience violence in the home with our intimate partners. We can experience it as children or young adults in our families of origin. We experience violence in the street uh, street-based violence against trans women of colour especially is 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 um, something that is incredibly impactful. So we do experience gender-based violence and I think that one of the... Uh, actually, I saw uh, uh, um, an Instagram post from Australian unions today that were talking about women's experience of, of violence and gendered violence in the workplace and they included... Um, gender non-conforming people in that definition, which I'm really, I feel like that's a really great move. It's a very progressive move. And looking at the 16 days of acti activism 
uh, against violence against women, I'm starting to see the language shift and consider um, trans and gender diverse people um, in in that definition, which is really good. I'd like to see more representation of LGBTIQA plus people in that, though, um, in the terms of, you know, gay, bi, queer men experiencing violence and, you know, lesbian, bi, queer women. Yep. What are some of the big gaps in uh, funding for services uh, that something like the Andrews government should be uh, stepping in and, yeah. and, and boosting in order to repair these incredible gaps in the system that people so often talk about? Look, I mean, I think the Andrews government, well, I don't think, James, I know that the Andrews government has spent a lot of money, you know, post-Royal Commission into Family Violence. We're into year, year five or year six of, of post that those recommendations. But honestly, the biggest failure is around housing and public housing. And we know this for for the women who access Safe Steps, the Family Violence Response Centre, which is you know, the gateway into the refuge sector, they don't have enough housing for the people who are accessing that service, for the women and children who are accessing that service. There's not been enough funding put into that really crucial um, piece of the puzzle. It's all very well for, for people to be told that, you know, if it's safe, you can leave, but where do you go? And one of the major problems that we're experiencing in the Rainbow Door uh, and, uh, and at Q Life is that, especially for gay, bi, queer, trans men, um, if they make that decision to, to leave a violent relationship and seek safety, there is nowhere for them to go. Currently, the responses that are being provided are it's a homelessness response, not a family violence response. So we need more funding around public housing and most certainly we need a crisis response um, for every every member of the LGBTI plus community here in Victoria. So it sounds like we desperately need more public and social housing stock and also more pathway services for people to actually leave violent situations within their living arrangements. Yeah, that's that's absolutely 100%. And the... The mainstream family violence services need to be funded better and the the specialist LGBTIQA plus family violence services, Thorn Harbour Health, Drummond Street Services, Switchboard, need more funding to be able to respond and, and address the, the needs of the community statewide. Do we have enough data collection or do we have enough adequate data collection about violence with intimate partner relationships within the queer community? Look, I mean, data is a really interesting question. It's often used against us, James, in that we're told that there isn't enough data to, to justify the, the funding or the spending of money. But Private Lives 3, the um, uh, latest Rainbow Health report um, was released, you know, earlier this month. That's pretty comprehensive data around our experience of violence and incredibly distressing data around our community's experience of suicidal thought and suicidal behaviour. You know, in the past 12 months, one in 20 people who, who filled out that survey, so it was an Australia-wide survey, it was about 
six and a half, maybe 6,800 people filled out that survey. One in 20 of them uh, reported that they'd attempted to take their life in the past 12 months. Three quarters of, of the people who filled out the survey said that they'd considered suicide in their lifetime. So those are really intensely disturbing statistics about our community. Um, with regard to family violence, four, four in ten of the people who filled out the report reported experiencing intimate partner violence and 14% of those said that, that they'd been in more than one relationship that, had, um, that featured family violence. So I think the data is pretty clear that this is something that needs to have attention paid to it. From 2017, the Victorian Population Survey of that time, that data's just been released. You know, the numbers have been crunched um, and they've released the data. And that survey from 2017, so think that that, you know, some of the information in that survey has happened prior to that. 13.4% um, of LGBTIQA plus adults had experienced family violence in the preceding two years. That's compared with 5.1% of cisgender heterosexual people. So that's higher. That's higher for us. So that's that, that data's in. Like we've got the data. It's telling us the story. We know that bisexual women and trans women, trans women of colour experience the most violence in our communities. It's like we don't need to do any more research. We just need to fund a prevention response. We need to look at what healthy, respectful relationships look like in our community. We need some visual advertising around this for the community and we need to fund proper response and crisis accommodation. 3CR. And that was Libby Jamison from Switchboard Victoria. Switchboard's Rainbow Door service operates 10am to 6pm every day. Phone 1800 729 367, SMS 0480 017 246 or email support at rainbowdoor.org.au And for folks around Australia needing support, go to qlife.org.au or Lifeline 13 11 14.
3CR broadcast from the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded.
and that was Adele with Tired. We also heard from Mazzy Star with Disappear. Well, Rick Spencer is a teacher and researcher. They're also the Sociology of Media in Australia convener for the Australian Sociological Association. And Rick begins our interview by discussing some of the things schools can do to protect gender diverse teachers from violence, erasure and bullying in the workplace. Wow. That's the question. That's the million-dollar question, <laughs> and that's my area of research where I'm now kind of focusing on because that's the area that really needs to be addressed. And it's sort of like most of the research in Australia and overseas has sort of focused on, and rightly so, on how can we make sure that there's inclusion and safety for our transgender students um, in our schools. But there is this hidden... Um, I guess, uh, red herring about what about teachers like myself who are transgender and gender diverse? Where is our space in the classrooms? Where are the supports for us? And it's sort of quite um, disappointing at the moment in the, in the state um, of Australia and, and other even around the world because transgender teachers are still seen as, well, we accept them, but we don't like them transitioning in front of our children. And this is the problem we face. And the realities are that we, and we know with research that students who identify as transgender um, and gender diverse look for role models, look for ways of communicating and connecting with others who are similar to themselves. And what we're finding is that more and more students are feeling isolated, especially during COVID-19, because they may not get the support at home. And even in their classroom settings, everything is still through a very heteronormative lens. And what we really do need is we need more teachers who are allowed to go into spaces and do what we do best, which is teach. Being you know, being discouraged from transitioning in the workplace, mm. that must have terrible effects on gender diverse teachers' physical and mental health. And it's truly a form of erasure. Absolutely. And it's quite sad because when I commenced teaching, you know, I was still um, presenting as a male. So I didn't really have many problems in getting employment, you know, in, in secondary schools. But once I started transitioning and appearing more, uh, I guess, female, um, that's when the problem started, where I would be called into the principal's office and, you know, would be blatantly said, look, you know, we, you know, we appreciate uh, who you are, but we don't think you're a good fit for our school. And it was very disappointing because, you know, part of um, if we're going to have our students accept diversity, what is wrong with showing students, you know, people who are going through transition? It's a normal process that we go through, you know, taking hormones, um, re, you know, reassigning our clothing. Why is it such an issue? And why do we still sexualize gender? I don't understand, you know, why is that seen as a threat to our students? And until we can kind of go into that space and explore it, in great details and all the only thing I can come up with and I'm you know as you know I'm always constantly looking through the literature trying to uh, you know doing my systemic reviews and trying to see what is it that schools fear because that's what I can it comes down to what do they fear about having our presence in front of the children in schools and the only thing I can think of 
is it's that they're uncomfortable with the fact of our fluidity. They're still used to having gender in binary notions that you're either male or female. You cannot transition to either. That fear must create a workplace culture that's rife for bullying. How widespread is bullying towards gender diverse teachers, do you think? I would say is, and I can only go by anecdotal evidence speaking to um, trans teachers in Australia. And if if anyone was to do a Google search on transgender teachers in Australia, you'd find there's hardly anything that comes up because a lot of us, a lot of teachers are still hidden in the closet. The teachers who have obtained, uh, say, permanent positions in the workplace um, tend to be kept... um, shall we say, protected within that school environment. However, those of us who've come through the system and going into teaching whilst we're transitioning struggle because schools blatantly just can say, oh, no, we won't have him, we won't have them back tomorrow. So we're kind of lost in that. And then, you know, you go into classroom spaces and in staff room spaces, it is still very much Um, divided upon gender lines you know the the posters the curriculum even the setup of the the classroom you know we went to one school and on the board from uh, for teaching they had pink and blue um divisions for teachers you know so there is still that culture of um heteronormity uh, passed through into the classrooms and and staff room spaces which sort of reinforces um, that kind of way of seeing the world. And it's okay if you're born and you're a cis, heteronormative uh, male or female. For you, it's it's just like looking every day. But for people like myself, you know, we're scanning the room and we're trying to find connections and we can't. So it's not a level playing field at all for gender-diverse teachers. And kids aren't stupid. They must pick up on that. How does that affect students in the in the, in the classroom? both gender-diverse students and kids who think it's okay to harass and discriminate and perhaps even threaten physically gender-diverse teachers? Well, that's that's the kind of research that has focused, uh, that has become out of Australia, especially by um, Tiffany Jones, which has found that by not addressing the diversity in classrooms and having an open dialogue, it kind of perpetuates you know the stereotype that you know, you know why if it's okay why have why aren't our teachers like this? You know it's sort of like well the students who do identify as you know a transgender and diverse they can't see a role model in a leadership role within that classroom because remember when you're looking at the classroom it is it is a power based relationship that's set up and teachers are the role model and they are the facilitators. And if your leadership um, is all predominantly, you know, is just male and female and presenting uh, very much heterosexual, well, where is that space? Where is the voice that's being heard? And that's the problem we're finding is that it allows that kids who who have a, who are misguided or who, who are uncomfortable with uh, people transitioning to kind of be 
have that voice where they're going to call out people who look different. And that's that's the reality that we're facing, you know. And, it, and my, I mean, I could go on forever, but even if you look at the Department of Education um, website, you know, there is very, very little mention about supporting transgender teachers in the classroom. And that's the sad reality, you know. If you look at any uh, website, any educational website, in Australia, you will not find. You may find icons that say "support." Uh, are you okay? But very few will have on their front page website supporting transgender visibility or transgender remembrance day, and that says a lot about where we're at at the moment. So it sounds like lots of gender diverse teachers must either leave the system when they transition, or they find that because they're precariously employed, they don't have their contracts renewed. Absolutely. And it's a sad indictment of um, the present state in Australia. I mean, you know, we had a a wave of a shift of movement back in 2010 uh, when we had the Safe Schools Coalition and uh, White Gender coming up and then the same-sex marriage um, amendment. And that kind of opened up the doors a little bit for us and it allowed students, which I'm so grateful to have a voice and to finally be heard, but however, in relation to teaching staff, there is still that taboo. I mean, even teachers who are uh, openly gay in a school environment, you know, face issues. And we, we're again, we're talking about schools in in public schools. In private schools, it's it's a lot more. Um, we see that the issues are more confounded because you know you're bound by the contract and the uh, the ethos that's dictated by the school um, principal and his uh, stakeholders who quite, you know, in a lot of cases will not accept someone who's transitioning um, because they don't understand it and they don't want to be part of that um, unique experience that, you know, I know that it will change the lives. And it's, again, what I'm saying about changing lives, it's giving that visibility to everybody, to all students. That, you know, you know what we want to do is we want to open up the playing field so that all students can say, oh, wow, my teacher's transitioning. And then it becomes not a big deal. It's just, okay, these things happen. And it normalises that. And when we normalise something and we, you know, open up that visibility, it then reduces the stigma and then it reduces the bullying and it allows students in the classroom who are considering transitioning to have a safe space where they can start to feel it's okay to be a little bit different. To what extent is this incredible pressure and erasure that gender diverse teachers are put under? To what extent is it a form of violence, do you think? Well, you know, violence doesn't have to be physical. You know, violence can be, um, you know, emotional and it can be verbal, you know, and it's something that, you know, that I've experienced, you know, in a few schools, you know, and and as teachers, especially um, casual relief teaching, you know, we experience that, you know, students sniggering or laughing, you know, and it could be the way we look, you know, it could be the fact that we're, um, our body size is larger, you know, so they will look at anything they can to make fun and to get a reaction from the classroom, you know, but, and that's something we kind of accept, but what is sort of, 
disheartening is in the staff room, you know, when you hear the sniggers or you hear someone overlooking. And, it's you know, we're quite aware, especially um, for those of us who are transitioning, we're very acute at the stairs. And it's the type of stare you get when someone looks at you twice or stares for a long time where they're kind of really like thing, and you know what that look means. And it's like, oh, what are you? And I've experienced that, you know, in quite a few schools. And it's, you, you know, you do grow a thick skin, but you're, you're so consciously aware that you're being surveilled. And you're being surveilled because you appear to be different from what they expect their teacher to look like. And so many trans people talk to me about the trans stare and just the effects that it has on them. And also the accumulation of those stares must have a terrible effect on people's mental health, which in turn impacts on their physical health. Absolutely. And you can imagine that if you had to go into a school every single day and not only, you know, and you're going to the front office and you have that stare, and I've had that before where someone says, can, I, can you show me your, your VIT card? And it's like that they're reassessing my gender identity through that. So it's as though I've had to kind of face interrogation to, to, to ensure that I am who I am because I don't present in their eyes as a male or as a female and they have a problem with it. And then, you know, you go into the staff room and then you get the looks and the stares. And, and you know, and what's sad is that, you know, when we people who enter teaching are very, you know, we're very communicative. We want to communicate and, and connect with other people. And there's nothing worse than for some of us when we go into when I go into a classroom uh sorry into a staff room and I'm sitting there and not one person says hello you know and the the conversation is silent and then people move you know so you're feeling that alienation from that moment so and then you think to think well if this is happening from the teacher your your cohort your your uh team so how do you expect that to translate into the classroom spaces? And what does it tell us about how do those teachers then interact with students who or are different or, or in some ways want to transition but can, can read the language from their teachers that they're not going to be accepted? Can you describe how those stares and also how those interrogations feel? How do they physically feel? For me, it feels as though someone's ripping into my heart. It's like tearing my skin. And at that very moment, you know, it's like a strange feeling, a rush goes through your body and you almost feel physically sick that you want to run because at that very moment you feel yourself shrinking. And for me, it's as though I'm going right back to being five or six years old again where I was constantly harassed and abused by family and at school for looking the way I did, you know. You don't fit like this, you know, you don't look. And all those negative kind of feelings and and voices come out in your head because it's just reinforcing that you're not wanted, you are a freak, you know, what are you doing here? And it's, it's so strange because many of us who were bullied at schools and then we want to go in to change that, it takes us back back to that space, back to those events when kids would just spit on us and, and hit us. And then when we go to teachers, they wouldn't know how to handle it, you know, because they, they might try and address the, the physical hitting, but they don't address 
why that was taking place. And there was never the affirmation that it's okay to be different. And I think that still happens today because teachers are not comfortable with having that conversation about diversity in terms of gender. They're not comfortable because they don't want to go into that area of unfamiliarity for some of them. And that's really sad. Until we have we retrain our teachers, and it does go, does go to that, to retrain our teachers so that they understand how the importance of allowing and accepting difference and that difference is what makes the community grow teachers are very sophisticated so often they must pick up on the physical discomfort that they're causing and the huge distress do you ever find that teachers express remorse about about how they've treated gender diverse teachers look there, there was a study done in canada where um a lot of teachers have and I was teachers who primarily work with transgender students, and then I interviewed like 56 teachers, and they found that 46 out of the 56 had conversations but found it difficult to have a dialogue with that student one-to-one because they didn't know how that student would react. But part of them also didn't want to seem as a bad teacher but it's not knowing of you know the, what we what we're looking for is we're wanting teachers to kind of be authentic and allow that you know it's okay to be different but if your own value within yourself if you're uncomfortable with the fluidity of gender or that that gender that transitioning can is is a is a thing that takes place then you have to consider well how do you translate that into having an interpersonal conversation with with a child or young person at risk because they're looking all the time for acceptance and remember that the, the, when people are at home when kids are at home they don't necessarily get that support and that's just the problem too with this area of research i'm finding is that the focus of well, the data that we collect tends to be data from older students you know, and, and, and remembering with transitioning, it's not something that you identify and say, yes, I'm transgender or yes, I'm non-binary, you know, from five. It doesn't happen necessarily. It's a process that can happen over many years, over many decades. And so young people, what we're finding is they're always looking for feeders, as I call it, or sorry, feelers, and they're looking at to see, is there a teacher that looks like me? Because that is one of the most significant things that I have found is that students look for same-like role models that they can then get support. And if they could find – so if, there's, if they knew that there was someone who was transitioning in a school space as a teacher, they would then be able to relate to that and maybe have a conversation. Or even if they don't have that physical conversation, the fact that they're having that visibility there plants a seed in their head to say, you know what, maybe over time, you know, I can be a doctor or I can be a teacher, you know, or I can be whoever I want to be because my teacher has, look at them, they're fantastic, they're being themselves and they're okay with it. 3CR You're listening to an interview with teacher and researcher Rick Spencer on 3CRs in your face. Bullying and violence must be pretty rife towards uh, gender diverse students. How effective has Victoria's Safe Schools program been at at containing it or preventing it? 
and what does it need to do better? Okay, look, schools have addressed it. And if you go on to the, and I always say that if you go onto their website, they do have policies in place and to address bullying. And, you know, the state schools, uh, respectful relationships, which I must say is different from Safe Schools program, but relate respectful relationships, which addresses how to, you know, how we are to how students and teachers, how they need to interact <clears throat> with each other and the wider community instills those sorts of values. But what we're finding is that things are happening we're controlling what happens in the classroom space. Okay. We have that political um, control where we can sort of dictate this is what's happening, you know, this will happen here, this will happen there. But what's happening is outside the classroom, you know, and I say it's behind, you know, like the school shed, so to speak. This is where the, the abuse and the bullying is happening. And it's not so much even being called out different. It's being excluded. It's the politics of exclusion. Kids are not allowed, you know, kids seem to be on their own. They're not included in parties. They're not invited over to other, um, to celebrate or go out to movies. So and even in sports, you know, you, you might participate because when the teacher directs you to go to a team, but when it's in the, in the lunchtime uh, breaks, that's when we can see the kids feel isolated the most on the report um, isolation where they tend to then go to libraries or they tend to go into, you know, into a, a inside space and sit down where they can feel less likely that they're going to be harassed or looked at the stare, as I call it. So that's the, that's the reality, you know. A lot of kids are missing out on that social interaction and forming uh, close relationships because of the, their difference, and you know, and that's the problem. We can't mandate kids to become friends you know, during lunchtime. You know, it's not something you can do in high schools. So something needs to be addressed, and that's why, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, the, we need to develop things like mentorship or allies. You know, and allies is the big thing, I think, that will come through. If you get other kids who, you know, who will support kids who are diverse because friendship should be about the person inside, not how they represent outside. It's amazing that the Victorian Education Department and other education departments around the country and the world haven't got on top of those exclusion issues that you just outlined so eloquently, considering it's been a huge problem for decades. Yeah, and that's the, that's the thing I'm finding with, with the research is that, you know, we're coming and saying things like, you know, if the schools were to support and put invest time and energy into developing allyship, we we know that allyship works well in the university sector and we've kind of gone through that sort of level now where we're developing that strength. But we need to, and, and even in primary schools, there is that support. But what I'm finding is that in the first three to four years of, uh, of high school uh, stages is the most important, as we know, when, when, when there's the, the developing adolescent brain and we're looking out for friendship groups, this is the critical period. This is where the the core sense of self and community really comes together. And this is where if we could develop a really good allyship and mentorship from older students in the first three years of, of high school, that sets up a much more positive way for transgender diverse students to feel accepted in a school because we're still finding that a lot of our transgender students 
are changing schools, you know, every two or three years because the bullying and just the non-acceptance of social events becomes overwhelming. So they go to a new school to start again, and it's not fair because then you you know you miss out on those formative years in high school where you develop those friendships. So that's why it's so important. We need to have more research and more programs invested in allyship to kind of bring together students of difference together because you know that's what makes the world a better place. Rick Spencer, thank you so much for talking to me today on Three CR. It's always wonderful to chat with you on the show. Oh, look, it's wonderful, James, too. And my last parting words I'm going to say to people is please, please, you know, consider that if you are a teacher, you know, and, you know, become an ally, find out information, you know, make connections with us, you know, and bring to your students a sense of acceptance, you know, and also in the curriculum, if you're an English teacher, you know, find books that are different, open up the discourse to students. Because only by making ourselves visible in the classroom, we then address the silence. Thank you, James. And if people need someone to chat with after that interview, they can contact QLife on 1800 184 527 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. And we do have those numbers on the In Your Face page on the 3CR website. If you want me, you can find me left of center off of the strip. In the outskirts and in the fringes, in the corner out of the grip. What are you?
you're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. soundtrack that was Jasper James and the Jet Set with This House. We also heard from Suzanne Vega with Left of Centre from the Pretty in Pink soundtrack. Taking us out is Oasis with Rocking Chair and we'll catch you next week on In Your Face.
Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook. <laughs> 